welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 141 of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is zanny byrne who is the man behind the tandem against suicide campaign and zanny is currently riding a tandem around the coastline of the uk covering more than 3,500 miles and in doing so he's looking to raise awareness of suicide and mental health and to raise money for a couple of really important charities and the idea for his expedition came after losing his sister to suicide in 2022 and zanny and his sister alice had always planned to ride a tandem together but they never got the chance and now zanny is offering up the back seat of his bike to a different person on each leg of the journey and all of these people have been affected by suicide in some way and as he cycles around the coastline of the UK he's talking to all these different people about their experiences about their lives about the impact that suicide has had and I caught up with him on a rare rest day he's currently about two-thirds of the way through his 88-day challenge. He started back in May and he's going to be finishing in Edinburgh towards the end of August. And in this episode, I chat to Zanny about the story behind his cycle and where the idea came from and how that idea grew into something that he felt he could actually do. We talk about the logistics behind it and how he actually quit his job so he could dedicate his time to making this happen. We chat about some of the obstacles and challenges that he's come across during the journey so far. And he shares some of the incredible stories on behalf of the people who have joined him along the way. And I actually heard about Zanny and his tandem after he passed through where I live. Um, he was down in New Brighton, which is about five minutes away from where I live. It's actually where I work. And he popped up on one of my mate's Instagram stories. And I was just, uh, yeah, I was just blown away by what he's doing. I dropped him a message straight away. That was about four days ago. And today we were able to sit down and have that conversation. And unfortunately, I didn't manage to catch him in person while he was practically at the end of my rose. And only like four or five days later, he's already up in Scotland. So he's covering a lot of ground in a short period of time but it was wonderful to chat to him I've spoke to a lot of people who for a lot of reasons mental health related reasons have done some incredible things to raise awareness and to raise money I've spoke to a lot of people who are planning to do incredible things but I think this is the first time that I've spoke to someone who's like slap bang in the middle of doing a massive thing and that was really interesting to kind of uh, to get the backstory and to get the just to chat to Zanny about where his head's at with all this because it's an incredible undertaking both physically but emotionally as well and yeah I can't thank him enough for his time the fact that he gave up a precious rest day to spend an hour of it with me is a yeah it's a beautiful thing I'm really appreciative of it he's a great guy and uh, he's doing something really special so as well as raising awareness he's also raising money for two charities one of those is Papyrus UK which is a suicide prevention organization they work to uh, prevent the suicide of young people people under 35 and they do some incredible things the other charity that he's raising money for is SOBS SOBS UK and that stands for the survivors of bereavement by suicide and they're the only UK-based organisation that offers peer-led support to adults that are impacted by suicide loss. Just an incredible and important organisation. So I've put all the links to Zanny's social media in the episode notes. I've put the link to his Just Giving page. It'd be great if you could give him a follow 
it'd be great if you could uh, click on the link and see if you can donate him some money. And it'd be really good if you could spread the word, share this episode, go onto his uh, socials, share some bits and just support in any way you can. You never know where these things are going to end up, right? And I say, and every week on this podcast, I say, spread the word, tell your friends, leave a review, all that sort of stuff. And I kind of say it because that's what podcasters do. We just go through the motions and say it because you expect to hear it on an intro. But if there's one episode where I say, share it, spread the word, um, I really mean it. I it, like it would be really cool if you could do that with this one. In fact, don't even share the episode. Just share the Just Giving link. And I think that's extra important because like I say, he's in the saddle at the moment. By the time this comes out, he'll be back on his bike. He'll be working his way around the country having these incredible conversations. So yeah, any help and support would be uh, very much appreciated, I'm sure. If you enjoy this episode, if any of the things we talk about resonate with you and you'd like to explore these topics a bit further, there are a few other episodes of this podcast that I can recommend. There's an episode with uh, Professor Rory O'Connor, who's one of the world's leading experts in suicide research. There's an episode with Angela Samata, who does a lot of work with SOBS, actually. But she's a a TED speaker. She's a BAFTA-nominated filmmaker. And she's a very well-known and loved suicide prevention advocate. And we did an incredible episode together. And if you go back somewhere around the 50s, there's an incredible episode with a guy called Gabriel Nathan, who's an American suicide awareness advocate. And he drives around America in a a vintage VW Beetle that's done up to look like Herbie. And it's got a big uh, suicide awareness support line number in the back window and he drives around talking to people and having important conversations he's a lovely man that's a great episode so feel free to check any of those out if you want to know more about me or more about the show everything's in the episode notes feel free to uh, check it out feel free to get in touch but most importantly feel free to uh, click that link to zanny's just giving page and share that around and um, let's see if we can spread the word a bit for him this is episode 141 of the proper mental podcast with zanny Byrne. thank you very much for listening enjoy So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest this week is Zanny Byrne. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm really well. Um, resting today, and uh, my legs are kind of slowly recovering. Right, wow, that's good. That's good to good to hear. And um, yeah, I mentioned before, but I really appreciate you spending some of your precious uh, rest time with me today. Um, and we should, that's probably a great place to start, right? We should probably start with why you need to be resting today. Um, what what is uh, what is this amazing project? that you're uh, you're working on at the moment mate yeah so i i'm cycling around the coast of great britain and i'm doing that on a tandem uh, a tandem bike i set off from edinburgh on the 29th of may and right now i've made it back into scotland so i headed south <laughs> and just followed the coastline all the way around all the way around wales and yesterday i made it back into scotland and i'm in dumfries the kind of interesting thing about the cycle is I do it with a different person each day. So I pick up a different person who's been affected by suicide or lost someone, um, uh, lost someone to suicide themselves. And we have a bit of a conversation um, about suicide and recovery and mental health as we're cycling and enjoying the great British coastline. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's such a, um, 
such an incredible thing you know and i only found out about it quite recently you know we only connected um just a few a few days ago when you kind of um you turn up on one of my friends instagram posts and uh yeah you bumped into louis on the on the beach i believe yeah um but um yeah i'll just blown away by it mate and um i think it's such a cool thing such a cool thing to do the idea of, of picking up these passengers along the along the route um yeah there's something really special about that where did this idea come from me yeah it, i guess it's kind of a sad story so my sister and I um, had talked about her jumping on the back of a different tandem bike and it was to build her confidence cycling around Edinburgh. She was always kind of looking at bus timetables and rushing around and I've always been a cyclist and I wanted her to enjoy cycling the way I did and I also thought it would give her a bit more time if she learned how to cycle or got confidence cycling, she, she knew how. And it was something we never really made time for. Um, we, we never found the time to do it. It wasn't at the top of either of our lists. And about 20 months ago now, she uh, she killed herself. So she's not, she's not here anymore. And one of my biggest regrets is we never went for that tandem ride. So after she died, I was thinking a bit about what I could do to help some of the charities that helped me and my family. And what could I do to kind of honor that idea that me and Alice had talked about? And this slowly, this idea like slowly came into being. Um, I don't think it was around the coast at first, but it, somehow it's turned out that way. It's weird how ideas kind of grow and change over time, depending on who you talk to and just stuff that comes up. But that, that's, the, that's the root of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, actually, um, Zani, because I, I'm I'm really interested in the in these ideas and how they sometimes these things arrived fully formed, right? And then other times they have to kind of they, you know they get kind of remixed a little bit along the way. Um, and yeah, I mean that's just such a beautiful reason to use a, a tandem. Um, did you find the route kind of the more you thought about it, it became more obvious to what you were going to do and how you were going to to do it? There was, a, yeah, I guess a few different strands, right? Like, I've always lived by the coast. I'm a, I'm a surfer. Um, I'd like, the sea means a lot to me. My mum swims in the sea. My dad paints the sea. My brother works at sea. And my sister died by going into the sea. So the, the sea has, like, a lot of, a lot of meaning for me. Um, and I guess I was also thinking a bit about, like, how do you get, how do you get people's attention? Um, because I think everyone that loses somebody to suicide, you actually learn quite a lot in that in that process. Uh, you have lots of kind of regrets and what ifs, and you end up with all this knowledge, whether you like it or not. And you kind of, I wanted to find a way to use that knowledge to help other people. So then I thought, well, what would I, what would get my attention two years previously? Like, how, how could I catch someone's attention like me? And give them a bit of a message about I don't know suicide prevention and suicide awareness. So I thought a Land's End John O'Groats, people do that quite often. I've done it before. It needs to be a bit bigger than that, a bit more ambitious. So the coast, you know, the coast was just there. And I thought, yeah, it seems quite ambitious. So I'll give it a go. And if I if I do it, great. If I don't, um, at least I've tried. Yeah. And of course, you know, on a tandem, you've got that that spare seat. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested on in the uh, logistics of people, right? Because you're picking people up en route and, you know, you know where you're going, but they've got to get back home. How do you, um, well, at first, how do, how 
did you start to um, contact people around the country that were up for jumping on the back of a bike? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the administration and the organisation of this is, if I complete it, that'll be the thing I'm most proud of. It's not, <laughs> it's not what I'm good at. It's not what I'm used to. I've got this newfound respect for project managers. Um, I've got this Excel spreadsheet and it's a nightmare. Really, it's a nightmare. Um, so I'd talked about the idea with some friends and gradually word started getting out amongst friends of friends and um, people said oh can you talk to my mate and maybe he could join you on the cycle somewhere and that was kind of growing in the background a time came when I, I think I was so socially committed to the idea that I had to just kind of put out on social media and stuff and I asked people to share it um, people did and it it kind of got around the different countries, but it, it did it in a kind of lopsided way um, because social media works by who you know and your friends' friends. I, I kind of wanted it to be people cycling around their communities because they would just know that area better. They could talk about the landscape a little bit. And um, I don't know, that felt like the natural way to do it, but I didn't have anything like that kind of reach at the beginning. So <laughs> the way it's worked is... I've got some people traveling like from Edinburgh to Wales and cycling a stretch to the Welsh coastline. And then I've got other people going from Wales to Scotland to cycle back to the Scottish coastline. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And I booked a lot of this about six months in advance with people. And I filled up most of the spots, but people are busy, stuff comes up. So people withdraw from it all the time. So I'm constantly calling people, up, updating people, uh, things are changing. I've had a couple of days when it's just been me riding the bike myself, but I think that kind of works as well because the, the symbolism of that, like riding, riding a tandem by yourself with all this baggage, um, that gets people asking questions. People are like, oh, you've lost one. And I can take that comment in a few different ways. I can be, I can say, well, yeah, mate, there's a, a bit of a story to that actually. And then we start a conversation about suicide and mental health. That really works. Or I can just say, oh, yeah, I'm looking for another and like do a bit of light, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, and I've also just been approaching people, uh, walkers and stuff when I've been cycling by myself. And I just say, you fancy hopping on for a couple of miles? I'll take you that way. And I quite like that, too. Uh, more kind of improvised. I was a rickshaw driver for many years in Edinburgh. So I'm used to trying to get people on the back of a bike <laughs> yeah used to sort of chatting to strangers over your shoulder almost yeah exactly. yeah. yeah mate that's incredible there's something about like the these conversations that we have about about mental health and mental illness and suicide and these challenging things um it always amazes to me where i end up talking mm. to people about this stuff and there's something really really lovely of having this thing this physical thing this bike with an empty seat that can just instigate these conversations. I'm going to kind of make an, an assumption, an educated guess on, on your behalf, I suppose, but um, I'm going to guess that some of these conversations have kind of maybe come out of nowhere and maybe gone to places you haven't expected. And it's amazing when we've got that, that one thing that can just open the door to two people talking about this stuff. Um, and it, it, it's really powerful where that can go if we've got that tool to open the door in a that's not in a formal setting that's not you, you know what i mean that's not in a, a therapy room or a doctor's office or does that make sense mate i couldn't agree more yeah like that's that's the the thing i've noticed most about this project is the value of props right the, the value of having something there to get you over the first hurdle of conversation a reason why like people can approach you when you've got a great big green tandem bicycle that looks incredible people are like 
all right, mate, what's that? Uh, or like that double bike, what'd you call that? Um, like loads of, loads of little bits like that. And it, like you say, it just starts a conversation. And once you start talking, so lots and lots of people ask about the bike, they see just how interesting and beautiful it is. And, and they ask about where it's made or um, how certain parts of it work. It splits in half incredibly. Um, so I tell people that and they're like, what? And you just talk about the bike for about five minutes and they say, so are you doing it for a charity or something? And I say, well, yeah, actually I am. And I talk about my sister, I talk about the charities that I'm, I'm raising money for. And every single person I've spoken to has got a story of suicide. It might not be a family member they lost, but it'll be a friend or someone they heard about. And every single person that stopped to, to talk is either sponsored the, the kind of the charities, the, the trip, or they've followed the social media things. And it, yeah, like, like you say, in really surprising places, like I stayed in an RSPB reserve in Suffolk and like an 85 year old guy started talking to me and I just didn't, I didn't expect to be having conversations with a guy like that. Um, but he gave me a really, a really sad, really sad story about his uncle's suicide. And I think it was during the war, so a long, long time ago. Um, but it really affected me and it helped me reflect a lot on the experience of older people who haven't um, talked about losing someone to suicide for a serious amount of time, like many decades, really. And the kind of burden of that, uh, carrying it around with you and not being able to share it. And yeah, so like you say, you're just surprised where these conversations happen, surprised where they go. And I think it's really valuable because of that. The, the other side, I, I think, uh, another thing you mentioned there was kind of about the activity and the, the physical nature of it and it being outdoors. I think that's the real strength of it. And people often talk about, the quality of conversations that can happen when you're driving in a car and you're not got direct eye contact, but you're both looking ahead. The tandem's absolutely brilliant for that, right? You've got like six hours on a bike. There's no eye contact there. So you're not reading each other's facial expressions. You're not reading the body language. There's room to be silent. And because of that, I think the quality of the conversation is much better. Um, you can say things you wouldn't say direct face to face. And I've been talking about really personal, emotional things with people. And then we've had to get off to... I don't know, push it through, you know, one of those cycling gates uh, or those kissing gates. It's a total nightmare with a tandem. As soon as you do that, that, that conversation changes and people start like using humor to deflect that topic. As soon as we get back on the bike, then that conversation jumps right back in again. And I had a psychiatrist in the back a while ago and she was telling me about um, like couples therapy and family therapy. Sometimes they put two chairs back to back and have people talk to each other for the same kind of reason about like not having the eye contact, not reading the body language. And it's it's doing that, it's replicating that. So there, there is something there and I think we could explore it more. It doesn't have to be a tandem, it could be something else. Yeah, that's a great point. So much of um, talking about this stuff is is the environment, you know, and, to, you know, often I speak to a lot of different people who are involved in um, just one example is like, um, like men's mental health support groups, right? And there's this whole thing about men don't speak. And I think men, men do speak if you if you provide the right space, right? You know, they just they might do it differently. They might do it in different ways. And um, the, the guys from Men Sheds, you know, they're an amazing organization and they, they're shoulder to shoulder. That's their kind of motto. Men talk shoulder to shoulder. And there's there's something there's something in that. And I suppose as well, like riding a tandem, right? I've had a go on a tandem. And um, it's not as it, you don't just hop on and go. It's not like a bike, right? And I think when there's when there is a part of you that is thinking about pedaling, 
and a part of you is thinking about the wind and a part of you is thinking, oh, this is weird. I haven't got as much control as I would have on my bike and stuff like that. It can distract a part of the person that allows something else to come out of the space. I think there's something about moving and something about, you know, rather than we like, you know, like we're just sat here now looking at each other talking. Right. But um, yeah, there's something about that, the landscape passing by and there's something really poignant in that as well. I think. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, yeah, we're on the same page. I can see um, you probably saw me nodding along vigorously there. <laughs> um, the, the first bit, men do talk. I've, I've had as many men as I have women on the bike and men talk, men feel, men worry, all the same as the, as the women do. But it's about how you have those conversations. And I agree, shoulder sh- to shoulder is, is the way, like, how do, you make, how do you make the spaces for those conversations where men feel confident to talk to one another? And I've met loads of guys now, the strong, silent types, farmers and middle age who, you know, the suicide rate in, in the rural and farming community is really high. These are strong, independent uh, guys and they have the same feelings. But, but honestly, it's just getting the opportunity for them to feel comfortable to talk and share. Um, so I really think we need to do a lot more there. Yeah, like a shared journey. So that, that's what I'm seeing this as, shared adversity and being in like lockstep. Literally, you're together with the chain. So you feel the hills. I went up a, a 30% gradient with um, a lady down in Cornwall. And I, I don't know if there's a better way to connect to somebody with like a, a struggle like that for about 800 meters. That's seriously heavy, hard going work. And then you come down the other side and you've got brilliant shared enjoyment when you're flying down a 30% gradient, like, woo, like what I can, I can't think of a better way to get to know somebody like in physical, real tough exertion and elation and talking about something really deep, personal and emotional. Um, you just form such a good connection. And with that connection, you can have a good quality conversation. Um, yeah. and, and it like it doesn't the tandem is great right it's really great but it doesn't have to be a tandem uh, it could it's just being a bit I don't know it'll take other people to be a bit more creative a bit more inventive and think about other ways where you get these same kind of processes coming up um, mm. and yeah the, the other day I, I was driving a well we're cycling along a road was totally flooded um, we went through it anyway lifting our legs up thinking we'd just carry on through but it was much deeper it was probably like a foot and a half deep so I had to put the pedals like had to try and pedal again but my feet were going below the waterline couldn't see so knocked the chain off lost momentum because there was no chain fell into this like really deep puddle tried to steady myself put my foot in a ditch um, that was totally flooded so I ended up water up to my ribs bike totally submerged guy on the back also totally totally in the water uh, like absolutely soaking but what a great way to get to know somebody um, <laughs> you yeah. know I'll remember that forever and it just a really good bonding experience and can you do that in a therapy room not really I, I, th- I think it's important to have it's like none of these things replace there's room for all of these approaches right but um, I think we need to make more room for some creative outdoor kind of conversations and therapy and therapeutic practices yeah definitely like linking it all linking it all together you know and 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 trying the um trying the other things away from the the traditional roots you know there's something about something that's really coming through when you're talking then is this idea of kind of having these open conversations and then both having to separately get your heads down and grit your teeth and get through it 
but you're still there for each other. And so much about mental health support and supporting someone who's going through something is you, you feel so, um, you feel really helpless. I know like this whole podcast comes from, from my own problems with my mental health. And, you know, I know my wife would say that she felt really helpless watching me go through it and felt like she wanted to, to fix and to change and to help. And there was nothing that, that she could do, but for me, just having her there. And there's something about that as well. I think when you're both sort of one minute you're talking and you're getting into it, and sometimes we need to talk about our mental health and sometimes you just need to kind of struggle through it to some extent and just having someone there joining you on that struggle and knowing that they're helping in the way they can by being there there's something real there's a lot i can't quite um get a a, like a catchy one-liner to sum it all up but there's something really in there as well that you know that going through it together is really beautiful man that jumped out to me well i've yeah i can't think of a pithy phrase either but i've got a story for it because i've had a couple of people who've you know they've been suffering with depression and they've managed to get themselves on the bike and it's been it's been really amazing riding with them because it's given me a much better insight into what what it's like to have depression i think one of the things i got wrong about depression in the past and i think other people get wrong about it too is just how um i don't know how heavy the weight seems to be or how limited your vision is for what you think is possible during those times and the thing that I found particularly useful was someone just breaking it down into what helped them get better. And it was really thinking of very small acts, like very small next steps. And I think people can often say, oh, well, what they need to do is, uh, you know, move to Spain and try learning another language, get out of the environment and do something that, yeah, that sounds great. But it's totally like if you're if you're struggling, that sounds totally impossible to you. And it's just so unrealistic. Uh, and the guy who I was riding with was saying, no, it's more about setting a target of getting out of bed today. And then, you know, the next day getting out of bed and putting your clothes on or like a small act of self care. And that, that was really helpful for me. And I was just blown away that some of the people that have joined me that are, are struggling like that, um, I've been able to get on the bike and yeah, grit their teeth, put their head down and do it. And I think the bike and the tandem in particular are pretty, are a really good way of changing people's minds about what they can do. Because I think on a bike, especially when you when you get going early and you keep going, even if you're going slowly, you can astonish yourself by how far you can go, especially if you've got someone riding along with you. So if you've got me or somebody else like on the on the front of the tandem doing it together like that, you can like I think it's maybe about 30 people on on the bike. They've all it's been the furthest distance they've ever ridden on a bike before and lo- loads of them aren't cyclists at all um and i think that you know there's some nice symbolism there's some nice metaphors in that um wh- one lady even went away and bought us on a tandem afterwards <laughs> wow that's amazing right yeah just like yeah just drinking the kool-aid just exactly. straight straight on it yeah, yeah i don't know if he wanted brilliant. a tandem but he's got one now. <laughs> he's yeah. got one now whether he likes it or not yeah no it's um yeah that's a it's a really cool you know the idea of stacking these small wins right and eventually if you stack up enough small wins you'll get a you'll get a big one and you know it's like i don't know much about science um but you know it is like is it a law of physics that stuff that's moving is going to keep moving and stuff Mm. that's stationary is going to stay stationary right so you've just got to get something moving and whether that's a, a bike or um trying to get through something that you're you're struggling with mm. have you one thing i found from um from this podcast something particularly when i first started it, it I, I was not long out 
crisis it was it was very kind of um very new and very fresh to me this exploring mental health and i learned a lot about myself almost like while recording in the in a, in a lot of the episodes but i still do get it now but um i kind of learned more about myself and my own experience when it's reflected back at me in the experiences of others and something i was really interested to ask you about is kind of like speaking to all these people who have all been affected by mental health in loads of different ways how and it, it might be too soon because you're halfway through this journey, right? Or, you know, two thirds or whatever. So it might be, maybe this stuff is going to land further down the line, but how has that been sharing these conversations? How has it been for you, you know, still processing, processing this grief and this, you know, all the stuff that drove you to making the decision to, to start the journey? Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think some of it will land later. Like you say, um, my head is so involved in the logistics and the day-to-day -day of it, the route planning, the contacting people, the uh, stuff I'm trying to write, like oh, all, all this builds up. I have learned, I have learned a lot, but I think that's, that's been around suicide prevention, understanding what mental pain is really like, what we could do better, what we could do to improve things for communities and for people. I've not had the space. Like, I think you need a bit of mental space to be able to apply it to yourself properly. And I, I've just not had that. My, my, I get a rest day maybe once every seven days and it's almost totally filled with um, admin tasks. Um, so I'm sure that stuff will come, but I can't bring it to mind now. It, it, yeah. would, be, it would be, I just don't have it, but it'll come, it'll come. Yeah, it might be for the best, right? Maybe, you know, maybe this the, everything that you've got going on, maybe uh, you need space and time to to process. Anytime we do something massive, anytime we have a big learning, we have to we have to process that right and let it sink in. I, I think one of the other things is one of my coping strategies. I don't know if it's a coping strategy, but a thing that I do when a thing that I've done in response to the grief around losing my sister is just make myself really, really busy. Um, like with projects like this, with moving house, with doing legal stuff to do with her, her death, um, I've not really had a chance to stop. And I've spoken to other people who've done a similar kind of thing. And, you know, the grief might hit me when I finish it. Like, you know, another, another part of the grieving process might hit me when I finish this journey. Kind of aware that might come, um, but I might also just do something else to make myself really busy again. I don't think that's the best thing to do, but it's the thing... It's the thing that I, it's the pattern that I fall into. Um, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. What to say. It's just what I've done. Yeah, I think when it comes to when it comes to like grief in general, like we, there's no I don't know. There's no guides. There's no rules. They know we're so individual, aren't we? And then, you know, when we've been bereaved by suicide, it's such a it's such an unusual type of grief it's different again you know who's who's to say who's to say what's you know the we, we just don't <laughs> no one knows right it's so personal it's so in, individual i've spoke to a, a lot of people um zanny on this on this podcast who you know who have um who have started things and who have done things purely for that for that reason you know whether it was to avoid sitting in the grief or whether it was to channel it or whether it was just to kind of balance it out and all these different reasons i think ultimately it doesn't really matter you know as long as you're doing okay and you're doing something mm -hmm. incredible and then it doesn't really matter nothing else really matters right like yeah. that's one one day at a time as much of a cliche as, as that is i suppose yeah one one day at a time is right that's that's, that's the way the only way i can think of this project is one day at a time otherwise it gets overwhelming um but 
I can speak to some of those things that you mentioned there because I've had the same conversations with people on the back of the bike. And I think, yeah, people's grieving styles and the, their timelines are really individual and are really different. And one thing I've picked up is that families often often shatter or, or separate following the death of a child or following a kind of bereavement of a, a family member. And I think that's to do with misunderstanding that people are at different timelines and, and people are at different stages of grief. And you have expectations that maybe one of you's really, really sad and can't get out of bed and tearful all the time. And the other person is really action orientated and wanted to do something. And one one party kind of wants the other one to feel the same way. And that misunderstanding leads to conflict a little bit. The, the other thing is somebody told me a term for that kind of grief around suicide. And it was like disenfranchised grief because people don't really want to talk about it. Uh, because they might upset you because you know the the social kind of taboos around it the potential issues of shame and stuff so you, you don't get the same kind of grieving process from other people so that's the disenfranchised disenfranchised part of it which I thought was kind of interesting and these are like the little snippets of information and things I'm picking up on the way with with everyone who rides and um, I'm ending up with like a yeah loads of information I just need to find a way to usefully get that out there yeah yeah it's um it's it's fascinating it could be like an incredible um resource of 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 something you know all the other learnings you know along yeah. along the way and you know a lot of people you know you mentioned there like yeah with the grief around suicide people are scared to talk about it suicide itself you know it's a, a kind of i say this a lot but suicide itself is a scary word you know it's one of those words it's like how people used to be around cancer right and call it the big c and it, you almost feel when people say suicide they almost kind of go you know like they don't want to even like say say the word and i think that's another wonderful thing of the the space you're holding on the tandem is given because people want to talk about this stuff in my experience you know people do want to talk they don't you know the uh, we kind of assume i don't know shame or, or or sadness on behalf of other people and it's like then then they don't get a chance to to share the things that they want to share but people want to talk about this stuff right yeah totally agree the appetite is there and often i think People don't talk about somebody who's died by suicide for fear of saying the wrong thing or upsetting the person. And because of that, you lose the opportunity to talk about the good parts of that person and the, the positive memories. And I think that can be really upsetting for people. There's also something, I think there's something about the messenger, about like who you open up to and when you open up. And, and sometimes it can be helpful to open up to somebody who you know has had the same kind of experience. That's why I'm raising money for one of these charities, Survivors of Bereavement by Suicide, because they make those spaces and I, I can see that the good they do there. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree the, the appetite is there. And I think people are really um, afraid to say the wrong thing and I think this comes down to one of the myths about suicide, that talking about it and asking about it might plant the idea in someone else's head. And that's just not true. Uh, but I think that myth persists in, in loads of different people. And yeah, if I can do one thing, it would be to bust some of these myths around suicide. That's what I'm hoping to do with the social media pages and things. Yeah, yeah. It's like when the stakes are so high, right? People don't want to don't want to get it wrong. And I, I think to kind of flip that on its head as well, I think that a lot of people um who are maybe going through something whether that is something to do with their mental health or whether that's grieving um 
they're not always as much as they want to talk about it. They're not always sure how that will be received. Yeah. You know? So if, if you've got someone who doesn't want to ask the question in case they get it wrong, well, I, I don't know how you're going to react when I say something. So I'm not going to say something this time, you know, mm-hmm. and it's about sort of, I don't know, I think on both sides, right. You've got to be brave enough to speak. You've got to be brave enough to listen um, and, and to listen without trying to fix. I think it's important as well. And, you know, it's just to, just to listen. We've all got to be a bit braver around it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But, I, and yeah, bravery is the first part of it, right? It's, yeah, being prepared to ask an uncomfortable question and being prepared to listen to the answer as well. And I think what could help that bravery is a little bit of confidence about what exactly to say, um, how to phrase questions a little bit better. And, you know, the important thing here is when you're asking a question, it's to ask a direct question. It's asking, are you feeling suicidal? Um, and I think using a euphemism or saying you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? Some, something like that is it is easier to say, but I think it, it, it misses something important. And for the listener of that question, it might, it might just make them feel that you don't quite get it. You don't, you don't get the level of suffering that they're experiencing. And, and I say that from personal experience. I, I asked the wrong question. I, I asked... I said something like, you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? And this is one of my big regrets. And this is the, a thing that I've learned now that I want to share the importance of being brave and, and asking a direct question like that. And that you might be able to kind of pierce this bubble of self-defense and uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. Um, I think using the word suicide is the, is the key thing there. Mm, yeah. It's like, if you're not going to, if you're not going to, ask me properly i'm not going to answer properly right yeah. like it's, yeah, yeah. it becomes easy if we make a joke we can both both deflect and yeah yeah that's a wonderful point i've not actually heard it put like that that's um that's given me a lot to chew on there zanny that's um yeah i really like that i really like that a lot and um, kind of before bef- before this and before you know everything that that led to it what did you know much about mental health mate did you know like was this stuff on your radar i often find that um and it's certainly my experience i knew nothing about it until suddenly i was i I was in it you know like um what was it was it around you was it talked about i I worked in educational psychology so that was working with with young people um a lot of that was assessments around learning and memory and autism and adhd the mental health side, I had a, a little bit of information, but not not to do with suicide really. Um, I, I knew I knew bits about it, but I think the lived experience of it um, gives you a different quality of knowledge, a, a different kind. I, I knew where to find out bits of information, but I didn't. Um, yeah, that this this area is relatively new to me. I've got a kind of related background in it, but um, yeah. Yeah, it tends to be the way, you know, it tends to be people just don't know, you know, you don't know until you need to know or you don't know until you, you find out. It's, a, it's, 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 it's tricky, isn't it? It's really, it's tricky. It's messy. Yeah, yeah, it, it's messy. And yeah, that I guess the other thing, the kind of side of it with my sister is um, she, she was addicted to alcohol. She was an alcoholic when she died as well. And I, I didn't really have any background in that. But when you, I guess, live through that, when you live through knowing someone's addicted to something that that teaches you quite a lot as well um it's one thing to read about it it's another thing to um to know what that looks like in person yeah yeah definitely how have you looked after your um your own 
mental health, you know, over the last 20 or so months, mate, you mentioned SOBS before, have you accessed them yourself? They're an incredible organization. Uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you know them. Um, Cause I think one of the problems is not enough people know about them. Um, yeah. So I started going to the SOBS groups about six months after Alice's death. And when I walked in that room, I didn't say anything. I just listened for a little while and, and, you know, the first half an hour I knew I'd come to the right place because I could, I could see people supporting one another. I could see people just saying the things that I was thinking, but I wasn't able to say them yet, you know? And um, the longer I've gone to that group, the more benefits I see in terms of people teaching each other, um, you know, how to get better in terms of people helping each other. And I think for me, the thing that makes me feel better is trying to help other people and trying to prevent suicide in one way or another, even at a really small scale, even if I can like have one meaningful conversation with somebody, then I think I feel, I feel better about myself. Um, I'm lucky I've got, I've got good friends. I've got a good family. They kind of um, wrapped closely around me and my family as soon as this kind of happened. They were there. They were asking the right kind of questions. They were making sure I, I wasn't just staying in my bedroom. Um, and I, I know what I'm like when I'm when I'm feeling low and it's I, I know the changes and I, I stopped doing the things that I used to like. I stopped surfing, I stopped running, I stopped cycling, and I could see those things in myself. Um, and I was fortunate to have friends that made me do them. Um, I don't think everyone is that lucky. Uh, and that's why that's kind of really why I like subs because it's a bit of a community and you get to know the people over time and you know if the person isn't coming you're like mm, well why aren't they coming um and because it's not there's no like patient confidentiality uh, kind of agreements there and, and some of the people are independently friends so if, if you see a friend not doing the things they they used to do then you can you know you can actually ask after them which is quite nice I would, and I saw a great example of this when it when I was cycling around I stay with uh, sometimes just strangers who put me up and um, I was in a an old lady's house and she took a she took a call from a friend and it was on speakerphone because she was deaf uh, so I heard most of the call and it was this old lady calling another old lady saying I've not seen you in a wee while are you sure you're okay because you went down at the cafe uh, and they're like are you sure you're sure and you know she was really really checking checking out whether this lady was okay and the lady was yes I am fine I appreciate you checking and I thought that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant and the key difference there was that was a phone call and I know lots of people check on people through whatsapp or like some instant messaging thing and there is a difference there because when it's a phone call you can hear a tone of voice you can hear silences you, the responses are immediate and much more information is given that way in terms of checking on people and I just thought oh that's really good I, I was really heartened by that yeah. yeah yeah that's lovely it's a wonderful point about you know doing it on the phone rather that it's so easy to leave someone on red if you don't want to face something or but yeah there's so much you can get get from hearing someone's voice and yeah that's a, a fantastic point mate yeah that's that's wonderful um you're about what are you about two thirds in so you're resting at the moment where are we on on the journey what happens from uh, how long are you resting for first let's let's do yeah. that um this is my longest rest period and i'll tell you why it's so long in a minute so um, well about two-thirds of the way through i think this is day 59 of 88 um and i'm this is there's an extra rest they added here because um 
the crew of HMS Charger, uh, which is a kind of Navy patrol boat, um, got wind of uh, got wind of the cycle, and I had a few meetings with them, and they, you know, they've <laughs> they've really come to help. Actually, they they are really into the project. I think for all the same reasons you've kind of talked about, uh, they want to support it and support me. So. Um, cycling from Dumfries where I am now to Cree Town in a couple of days, then Cree Town to Stranraer. And at Stranraer, that's where you usually get the ferry across to Belfast. Um, HMS Charger and their crew are taking me across to Campbelltown on the Kintyre Peninsula. And when people go around the UK, they almost always cut Kintyre off because it's this big inconvenient like peninsula sticking down. And if you go around all that, you're adding a serious amount of miles so I'm not cutting that off. One, because I've got family there and they would cut me off if I didn't visit them on this massive trip. Um, I am cutting out a little bit of airshare and doing it, but I think um, on balance, it kind of works. And then one of the sailors is going to uh, ride with me as we go up the coast. And my understanding is HMS Charger is going to kind of come up along with me as well, um, which will be really, really cool. And I, I just... Like in doing this project, loads of these little extra connections and opportunities have come up and that's been incredible to me. Um, so really motivated by this next bit. Then I get into Scotland proper and uh, it starts getting hilly, big, big hills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah. Then some real graft, uh, real graft starts. I love that. Um, there's another little kind of a, uh, there's a lot of analogies in this conversation today, mate, but, um, you know, I've kind of going out of your way to get that extra little part of the country in, you know, there's something in there because a lot of people who struggle with their mental health, you know, they get left out of certain things and they get, you know, forgotten about and things like that. So it's really nice to, yeah, go out of your way to, to, yeah, tick, tick every box, so to speak. But yeah, that's cool, man. I know what's going to happen on the, like, where do you finish up? Where, where's the last day? Uh, I finish back where I started. So back in Edinburgh. Uh, so I started off at the, the kind of beach in Portobello where I grew up and my first day was with my mum um, and I'm hoping that my so I come over the fourth road bridge on the last day I'm riding with um, somebody in suicide prevention in the Scottish government so I'll have a chance to feed back all these conversations that I've had to someone who can maybe do something about it and then I'm hoping to pick either my mum or my brother up somewhere in Edinburgh city centre and then final kind of three miles will just roll down and it's kind of downhill from there so i'll just be taking it easy really <laughs> yeah yeah that's gonna be um that's gonna be an emotional finish mate uh that's uh really something special really yeah. something special um it was an emotional start i expect it'll be an emotional finish too yeah 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 definitely um what date will that be what sort of what sort of time frame are we talking 23rd of august um, oh, okay so it would like the fringe be on and all that are you arriving slap bang in the middle of uh <laughs> yeah 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 oh what good. a yeah what a great way to get more eyes on it though right you know like yeah exactly thing and and then then what i'm just, are you off work at the moment like how does that have you got to go back to to real life um you know yeah. at any point i i quit to do this because i i just didn't think i would be able to properly commit myself to this if I was thinking about emails coming in and projects that needed to be done. I, I just, my whole, my whole mind wouldn't have been able to, to focus on this. So I quit and yeah, it's, it's back to real life a little bit. There are a few more interesting things coming out of this project, just 
due to people I've met on the way uh, and opportunities that have come up and I've just said, yeah, let's do it uh, and let the admin bite me later. Um, so a, a few more things are coming out of it. Um, I've been, what, one of the things is I, I really think everybody who's been through this kind of situation has got a lot of useful knowledge that they can share. And I've been recording conversations with people um, about that because I, I want that information to be accessible somehow. So I'm going to do something. Well, something's going to happen with those. I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take, but something will happen with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That, that you know, what a resource, right? What a resource. All these, um, all these things just collected all in, in one place to, um, to share. That's, um, yeah, that's a really cool, really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, some editing to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there you go. That'll that'll keep you busy for a few more months if you're looking to be uh, <laughs> looking to be distracted, mate. Yeah. Um. How did you find um? How did you find the Wirral when you passed through here? Obviously, that's my uh, my neck of the woods. It was gorgeous. It was great. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely cycling there. Friendly. I was cycling with a lady whose family used to have um a cycling cafe on the Wirral, and oh, wow. she knew everybody um, <laughs> so it seemed like a really social social place and obviously there's a lot of cycling history in the world um i was on the world way loved that just the the kind of the big promenades the great views and when i got around to um what is it new brighton and the views over to liverpool were incredible you know i've never been to this part of the country i've never been to that part of the country before and i just thought it was stunning um and i had tailwinds as well so uh yeah. brilliant <laughs> always a, always a bonus yeah i suppose that's another incredible benefit as well as you know seeing different parts of the country and you know interacting yeah. with all these people and and yeah it's just uh oh mate i've just like i'm blown away by it i think it's such a cool thing that you're doing i think it's wonderful and um yeah the the that you're sharing some of your precious precious time off that bike um to come and chat to me about it is um yeah i'm really grateful for that mate thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure no, likewise, Tom. A real pleasure. A big up to the proper mental podcast. A podcast, a proper mental podcast.